People are my passion, and this podcast is about just that. Life, love, careers, relationships, the ups, the downs, the funny, and sometimes not so funny things that happen along the way. I think that everyone has a story to tell, and I want to hear it. So join me weekly as I sit down with everyday people from all walks of life to find out what makes them tick. You are listening to Bright Minds with Ashmon. Welcome back to my podcast, Bright Minds with Ashmon. I am your host, Ashley Bright, and I am so excited for today. I have got Nick Bonacor hanging out with me. Nick is the founder of the Reformed Sports Project, which is an organization that has a mission to restore healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Nick, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, boy. Hey. Ashley, this is freaking awesome. (laughs) We live in the same town. We live like two miles from each other, come to find out. And um, I'm super excited and I'm humbled that you asked me to be on. And um, let's get fired up. Let's go. Let's do it. All right. So quick backstory of how um, Nick ended up in my kitchen today. Um, All right. So my girlfriend, Jody actually turned me on to your podcast a few weeks ago. And she mainly was telling me to listen. Um, because I was wanting to start doing this podcast and having some remote guests. So she's like, Hey, I'm listening to this one. And it's a local guy and all of his guests are remote. And it sounds great. Um, so I go on and I went on to listen with that goal in mind and I was instantly hooked. Like I totally forgot why I was going to be listening to it because I got so into what you were talking about that day. So then I started putting things together. Like I, I knew you were local and you had mentioned the first one I'd listened to that you had six kids. And then all of a sudden it dawns on me when your intro on like, I'm on to episode number three now. I'm like, Bonacore, that's, that's an interesting last name. Tripp's second grade teacher's last name was Bonacore. And he was fascinated by the fact that she has six kids. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I text Amy instantly and I like fangirled out. I was like, I'm obsessed <laughs> with your husband's podcast. I mean, that's really fun. Very small world. And yes, you'd be hard pressed to find people that would be classified as sane that would uh, (laughs) jump into the pool and agree to have six kids. So, yeah, I don't know how many other people out there listening to this have six kids with the last name Bonacore. But if you do, you're in, you're (laughs) just like me, but it's crazy. All right. So before we like dive into everything I want to talk about, tell me how you met Amy, because I just really adore her. She was an amazing teacher trip loved her and I feel like she just got him you know she was great with the kids but she for me you know she really got who trip was and his sense of humor his personality I just really appreciated that about her so Amy and I met so that th- Amy's my I was I'm divorced previously um we met through athletics so her oldest son okay who is my this, we're gonna start everyone <laughs> hang in there for this one Amy's oldest son who's now my son sure Avery is actually Amy's biological nephew. Okay. Okay. So she adopted Avery when he was five. Oh, Avery wow. had Avery had a had a tough go at it, him and his siblings. And uh um anyway, to make a long story short, Amy was here in Wilmington. She went to UNCW and um she adopted Avery. Um he was kind of in the system in Cleveland and she she kind of re- she kind of rescued him out of it. I mean, I'm not, you know, she did. That's exactly what she did. And, um, at the time I was married and my oldest son, Tyler was playing football for here for the coastal Cowboys. And I was coaching. So Amy initially brought Avery, uh, to play soccer. And 
I always laugh at Avery because <clears throat> when we first met him, he's, he's still a smaller guy. Of course, he's about to be a state champion. God willing, uh, wow. wrestling He's going to wrestle at UNC Pembroke next year. And he's, a, he's a, he's a bad dude. But Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. But when he was, um, five years old, I mean, he is a little guy, you know, but he was one of those kids who, I mean, if you told him to run through the wall, he was going to run through the wall <laughs> and pick his head up. And, and so Amy brought him out to play soccer because that was her background and he was knocking everyone over. He was just way too aggressive. And, um, so she goes like, I can't have this kid out here. I got to bring him to play football. We got to get this aggression out of him. Anyway, Need an outlet for sure. Yes. So anyway, that was the first time that I had met Amy. Now fast forward like five years, I'm a year divorced um, Amy had not too long before that, um, or not far. Yeah. Whatever it is, had gotten out of a relationship. She was single. I was single and I was like, Hey, you know, what's up, you know, let's see what's <laughs> going on. And then here we are fast forward. Um, so I have three from a previous marriage. Okay. Um, Amy has Avery. Um, and then biologically we have two of our own Mark and Colin. So that's the six. But they're all my six. Avery's now, you know, legally mine as sure. well. And oh. um, it's it's pretty freaking awesome because initially you would have, my father-in-law always talks about it. He's like, I, I call this the miracle family. You know, like oh. it, you would have thought, <laughs> why the hell are these people trying to do this? And then, you know, it's amazing. And I can spend hours upon hours. It makes me very proud. And I probably has more to do with just, you know, a power greater than, than all of us versus Amy and I, but, um, that's Absolutely. what happens when you meet the, when you meet the person that you're supposed to be with. I love so. it. And y'all make it look easy. That's fun. But Tripp just love that fun fact. He's like, they have six kids. And like, he had all these fun stories. She would share with them. I'm like, that is pretty cool. We're They're very, thing, we're you know? very lucky to have very good kids. And, uh, you know, I want to take credit for it, but you know, Amy's an amazing leader. She's an amazing partner. And, um, so I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I happened to, I love it. it was fate. So that's it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. My mind is spiraling with all the things that I want to know, but let's just do this thing. I got it. Let's start at the beginning. Like, tell me how the reform sports project came to be. And also, by the way, I talked about you on two of my podcasts and I think I botched the name. So I'm so sorry, but it's the point, right? Like I was, <laughs> I think I twisted a word here and there, but the reform sports project. Okay. Tell me about it. It's all good. So <laughs> I, quite frankly, the, the reason I started it is the best way for me to describe it is I got pissed off. Um, and I got pissed off because, you know, I played um, college in, in a year of professional baseball in Italy. Um, I played big college baseball, in North Carolina Wesleyan. And so so athletics is very, very important to me. Um, youth athletics. I was not a big fan of school. And I always say, I, you know, I wouldn't have gone to get a college degree if it wasn't for, you know, baseball athletics. Definitely kept me and my brothers um, <clears throat> on the straight and narrow. With that said, you know, as my kids entered into, you know, the youth, you know, obviously I got my kids involved and, and, you know, they're playing and, and I'm coaching and I love coaching. I love when the light goes off, you know, yeah. for kids, when you see them, you know, and they, their passion gets unlocked and all of those things. And <clears throat> what I started to notice over the years, and this is going back to when I started in 2019, um, prior to that, a couple of years, I just started to notice at the more I was coaching that things were kind of off in youth sports. You had, you had people talking, uh, for the first thing that jumped off of me was like, I kept hearing people talk about in order for, first of all, I started hearing people talk about college, uh, their kids going to play college when they were like eight and eight and nine. <laughs> like relax. And I'm like, hold on, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute. What? But also I, you find yourself starting to get kind of like engaged in those conversations. Like fair. Yeah. And then I, my, my better judgment catches me. I'm like, well, what the hell am I doing? And the second thing was, you know, you start hearing people who 
quite frankly, never had much of an athletic experience of their own being told. So now they're telling others like, Hey, if you want your kid to go play baseball at university of North Carolina or whatever, but they, you have to get them in playing year round. I mean, it's gotta be one sport year round. You got, and you got to get on this team. You got And I would sit there and listen to it and, and go, dude, that's just wrong because the best players I ever played with in my life. And I played, I was fortunate to play with a couple guys who had big league careers, which is a big deal. You don't get to, you know, be around when I was in college, I played in two college wooden bat leagues and two of my teammates um, went on to play in, in major leagues. And each one of those guys were late bloomers. They played at small college, division three, small colleges, one and, and two. And then they all played multiple sports as they were growing yeah. up. They played soccer, they played, you know, hockey, they played lacrosse, whatever they played. And even as I think back in the best athletes I ever played with, they all had a diverse background before deciding to lock in. Now, you could also say, well, Nick, you're from the Northeast, so you couldn't play baseball year round, which there is truth to that. However, that kind of set me off on the premise. Just having of, that mindset, hearing people have that mindset, like single sports when they're eight, nine years old. It pissed yeah. me off. And I get what, that. What I realized is that you're, you're, it's an agenda. You're trying to get me to give you my money year round. That's right. what you're trying to do. And if you're a parent who doesn't know any better, you're, you feel almost like if I don't do this, I'm doing my kid a disservice. So I, feel, Absolutely. so I feel like you're holding potentially a kid hostage or their parents hostage of like, what do I do? What do I do? So that's what kind of set me off. And I have a pretty good network of, of people that are in sports who coach or play at a high level. And I was like, man, I'm just going to get each one of these individuals to talk about what I know is the fact and what the truth is. And then, it, you know, like I just told you before, 600 interviews later and we're oh on gosh. Like episode, I think we're up on 70. Um, yeah. So, and that's so you what it were was. like, okay, the first place I go with this, like, let me get a podcast going. Is that the first? No, that's, okay. that's not what happened. I, um, I said, I'm just going to get people to speak on this. So I, if I, one day I hope that it become there becomes a need for people to say, I want to hear like the raw yeah. you know, reform sports project, <laughs> like interviews that I have interviews with. Like I have one with Jim Calhoun, who it's the first ever interview I ever recorded. Who's a hall of fame basketball coach, three-time national champion uh, from the Yukon Huskies. And I have an interview with him. It sounds wow. like he's eating. Uh, it sounds <laughs> like he's eating a pizza and just talking to me. And I had no idea. I, I just kept saying to myself, like, I need to get the, they all gave me consent. Like, let's do it. I had no idea how I would get that content out. I just knew I can write a blog with it. I can do something, but I need to capture it. And then eventually I'll figure it out. I'll yeah. figure it out. And, um, and then eventually, eventually, eventually it became to the, it got to the point where I was able to partner with the company. If you want to get into that. And, uh, they were like, we're going to start, we're going to go through this footage and we're going to start the pod and start and a blog, so start a newsletter, good. all this stuff. So. That honestly is my next thing I was going to ask. You have th such amazing guests. I mean, I was blown away by your lineup when I, I was trying to choose the first one I was going to listen to. And I'm like, I don't even know how to pick like Mike O'Malley. I think that might've been the first one I did. It's so good. How do you know all these people? Like, how did you, how did your network become like lead you to that? So I have, I have a pretty, pretty good network. All right. I worked in New York. I, I was a, I was a stockbroker for 17 years. No way. So I have, um, the ability to, I'm pretty good at networking and marketing and, and reaching people, sure. kind of putting pieces together. My ex baseball, my, my first college baseball coach is a gentleman by the name of Mike Fox. Um, he was my head coach at North Carolina Wesleyan University. Um, and then the year after my freshman year, he got the head coaching job at the University of North Carolina. So 
<clears throat> he actually wow. just retired two and a half years ago, three years ago now, I think, um, from UNC. And he's one of the winningest coaches in the history of college baseball. He and I are, I mean, he's one of my biggest mentors, but I mean, he's coached some of the biggest names in the, in, in major league baseball. He's been to seven worlds. He knows everybody. I mean, he's, he's a legend. So, uh, you know, Trot Nixon's a very, 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 very close friend of mine. He was in Amy and I's wedding. Um, oh my goodness. So, I mean, I, and, and what I realized is that I just need to, this is just, I'll tell you what I said. I said, I need to, and my brother-in-law, I credit Seth Pepper, um, was a, like a millisecond away from being an Olympic swimmer. So he has a network in, in that sport. And then I, I what I did was I said, I'm going to get coach Fox and then I'm going to get the people closest to me to talk to me. And then I'm going to ask them to connect me to who they know. And then I'm going to just, I, and I'm not going to take no for an answer. And I'm going to get them fired up about it. And I'm going to say, I need you to help me and support me for this. And, and they did. So Nick, that's so cool. Did you find when you first started telling people what you were about and what you were trying to accomplish? I mean, even some of these big name guys, were they just on board and just like, absolutely. Like we agree with this mission that we are, you know, supporting you in that way. Too. I mean, I do think they all compliment you so well on the podcast and all bring a different perspective into it that yet it's the same. If that makes it, you know, it's like a different sport or a different area they're involved in, but it all kind of ties together. It's really impressive. So what I have found out through the process is that yes, to your point, each one of these guests are equally, if not more passionate about the subject. And I mean, yeah. you're talking about, I mean, I interviewed Dabo Sweeney, who, who's, I mean, you can look it up. He makes like 13 million years, a head football coach at Clemson. I mean, he's one of the biggest names in sports, forget about, you know, college football. And, you know, I was fortunate through coach Fox. Yeah. Who's very, very good. So here's another network. So Jack Leggett is former head baseball coach at Clemson university. Him and coach Fox battled for you for years. How I connected with coach Leggett is when I played for the Wilmington sharks here in the summer of 1999, one of my teammates was Michael Johnson, who was, who's, you know, three time, two or three time all American at Clemson. Um, he and I still have a relationship. So I asked MJ, I'm like, dude, I want to talk to Co coach Leggett, bro. And he's like, I'll help you, you know? And then all Love of a sudden the, the connections were made and coach Leggett's like, Nick, I want to talk about this. I'm just, I'm not coaching anymore. And I see it. I've seen it for years. Like parents need to know the truth. And then uh, after about a year and a half of building a relationship with coach Leggett, you know, he went out on a limb and he has a you know very good relationship with coach Sweeney and reached out to him. And then next day he's like, tell him to call me at this time, to, you know, whatever time it was. And I, I did. Um, so it's connecting those dots. Sure. So, so to your point, these people, these coaches, these athletes, these writers, these, these folks I'm interviewing, they're so much, there's, they have so much passion for what truly sh the youth sport experience should be not just about winning and losing, not just about outcomes, but about developing and helping kids become the best version of themselves, using sports as a platform yeah. to help kids develop into the best people they can be. And that gets lost in today's culture. I love it. It really quick little, another podcast question, <laughs> but I don't want to take away from your, what you're actually doing. Cause I do want to talk more about that. You're really good at it, Nick. I keep saying, I mean, it just sounds and I wonder if that is some of your background in working in this, like being a stockbroker and just being comfortable talking to people and going after, but you just, you sound really comfortable. Like how much prep are you doing going into these interviews? I'm always curious about You're, that. <laughs> these is, these are, <laughs> you would, I, I don't really do any. Oh my goodness. I don't really. Yo, he I, also I just told say, me he records on his cell phone as I'm like, which is yeah. funny because I think my kitchen is kind of a janky I, setup. <laughs> 
I do. I actually came into your kitchen. I'm like, this is a badass setup. This is this is legit. Um, I got headphones on. I got a mic. So 90% of my interviews take place in my in my car. I mean, because I don't have any space Convenient. in my house. So it's I never go, quiet in the house, too. It takes a lot just to get this house quiet, by the way. <laughs> so so like I told you offline, like like one of the main reasons why, first of all, I started recording. So I use my cell phone and then I use one of my kids' cell phone. I push record and I hold them close together and, and I talk into it. So sometimes they sound a little muffled, but I started doing it that way because I never was sure if it was ever going to get released one and two. And what I found with with interviewing, especially some of these you know larger name people like perfect example is coach Dabo Sweeney. Like I have time tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Well, if I have to tell him, um, you know, well, can you be in front of a computer? Like I always found all I need is 25 minutes, 20, 25 minutes. You can be on the road. All I need is a phone call. And I got people to say yes. So I was like, well, I'm not crushing. I'm not messing that. That's what I, how I differentiate yeah, myself. That's really smart. That's what I thought. That's how I'm going to reach these people is I have to be available if, and when they're available and I can't say no, and I'm not going to, that's it. And, you know, I, so to your point, it sounds really good. It's so easy that it's almost like you don't believe that it's that easy. <laughs> my jaw hit the ground. You're like, Oh, I'm just on my phone. I'm like, what? <laughs> the truth is, and I appreciate you saying, and I, and I, you know, I shouldn't say I don't prepare. I mean, I don't even know what you would consider to be preparing. Right. Of course, you know, having 17 years of being on the phone, talking to, you know, owners of businesses, helping them, you know, in their portfolios, you know, I feel comfortable having conversations, but I also think, you know, it's very easy to sense, um, when someone's not being authentic Sure. and I don't feel the need to have to sell my belief in what I'm talking about. I mean, it's coming from my heart. So nothing sells like authenticity. And because I'm so passionate about, I mean, just sitting here right now, I get, I'm, I get fired up. I can like, feel it. I can feel this energy. I'm, ex well, I'm excited. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate it. But it, I feel like you can, you can tell when someone's faking it. And so I, you know, all I got to do is have a guest who has, they just got to meet me somewhere with a little passion. And I'm, we're going to elevate that thing because th I, that's just how I feel. And, and, you know, shout out to, I talked to you a little bit about this before to my, um, my former teammate from North Carolina with Wesleyan, Dan Soleil, um, from Buffalo dudes. <laughs> and you know, he's an, as an animal, um, travel man, Dan on YouTube, dude's awesome. Um, Dan had a YouTube channel and was putting out content. And, uh, right when I started a reform sports project and I said, Danny boy, man, like, dude, I, I, you know, do I have to worry about making sure things are right? And he cuts me off. He goes bones. Well, he used some explicit language, but he just said, <laughs> push the blanking button, push, send, push, send. And I'm like, all right. He goes, dude, who cares if it's an error? If it's, it just doesn't matter. Just but he, what he was saying was start, start, get started. Don't hold back. And I think that's one of the best. That's why I commend you. Well, I really appreciate that. I'm trying to remember the exact text you sent me, but it was somewhere along those lines. Cause this is, this is new. This is episode 10 or 11. And that is the hardest part. You know, as I, I wanted to do it and I thought if I hesitate too long, I will talk myself out of it or I'll find a reason not to. I bought that Amazon. This is back when Amazon was still delivering on two day shipping, but you know, I bought that mic on Amazon and it came on a Thursday and Friday. I sat down with my husband. I'm like, we're doing this thing. Let's go. Because if you, you know, you got to get started somewhere. Good for you for making a financial commitment. Cause I feel like it's harder to walk away from it. Then like, if you say, oh, Jim, I just spent whatever it was on this. <laughs> well, you know, it makes me feel like whatever it takes to get in to, to make you motivated, right? Like a buy-in I'm, I'm all for that, man. But right. Well, I appreciate it. the support. And I, again, you even just showing up today is supporting me and I really appreciate it. No, all right. So back to like the meat of what, to me, this whole reform sports project is, 
again, I stumbled across it, but then I got sucked in. I've actually ended up, I found on a couple of my podcasts talking about similar subjects because I do get passionate about it as well. I'm, I'm kind of entering that phase of life with a nine and a seven-year-old. And, you know, one of the first episodes, I went back and started the beginning of yours. And one of the ones you were talking about being at the baseball field and hearing a mom express concerns like that she was feeling like she got started too late. I, and I was really, I honestly was like, I wonder if he was talking about me and overheard mm. my conversation. So my son trip, I think we, we started baseball um, when it was already, we were right into machine pitch. And I remember mm. showing up that first day and thinking, oh my gosh, he, he, he might've been seven, eight years old. And I said, this is too late. Look at all these kids. They've been playing since they were five. We don't even know what to do. And we're now joining this intensely competitive league. It was really intimidating. I was mad at myself for thinking, uh oh, like we missed it. We better go home. Like <laughs> he's eight years old. He's too learned, too young, or too old to start playing baseball. Well, that's. I, I'm glad you shared that because I find that to be a very. That's a real thing. You right? know what I mean? It's a real thing. And <clears throat> there's so many tentacles to. I feel like this whole space, right? Well, you know, like, and I, I'm just gonna play devil's advocate here. I know the feeling that you have. I, I've had that with my kids in other sports or other activities. Like, oh my god, you know. But it's like, what are we really afraid of? Are we afraid that our kids going to be behind? Are we afraid that, or, or am I afraid potentially that my kid's not good enough and like it's almost embarrassing to me? You know, is that, a, is, yeah. that is that a shot? Like, oh my God, oh my God, like, uh, I feel bad. Or, or, or do I feel bad? Like if my kid's really good, does that make me feel like an extra, extra boost of self-esteem and confidence in my own ego? So yeah. it's like, I found myself and I find that, you know, many parents and I, I don't, listen, I don't. I know this feeling because I've done it and I have to check myself. Like it's very easy to watch your kids succeed or struggle and tie your own self-worth as a parent or want to swoop in and rescue them from yes. that struggle, which to me is the, and this is one of the things I try to touch on with each guest is like the value and struggle. Think about you, right? What, like you starting this podcast, what, like, why wouldn't you just do it? Well, well, I have this, I have that going on. Oh my God, what if I suck? Or what if I this? What if I, like we talk ourselves out of trying things. Why is that? We're probably afraid. You know, a little, there's fear. Totally. There's fear. Yeah. And if we allow our kids to not feel safe, to struggle and to fail, and what better place to do that than in sports, which is very uncomfortable <laughs> to watch your kids. Such a good point. Yes. Struggle yes. And, and, and not play or miss the ball or whatever it is. But we say to them, hey, I'm so proud of you. Like, I'm so proud that you had the courage to go out there. Like, good for you. Oh, really? Like, kids, most kids aren't tied to outcomes at young, young ages like we are. Like, it's very true. Yeah. And think of all the things they're learning, just what you're saying, all the life skills they're learning by playing a sport, which is kind of why you do it too. You know, there's so many things you're learning on the baseball field, whatever field, you know, that you're learning through organized sports that you can't get anywhere else, you know? Not, not just, and, and, and but, but, I feel like they learn it based off of how we respond to it. Yeah. So if I'm there, co you know, my kids playing, we're using baseball example because we're right around the street from <laughs> Ogden Park and, sure. and, and, and I'm sitting there and I, my kids at the plate and I'm going, get your elbow up or do this or do that. Well, think I, I've stood in the batter's box hitting the baseball is one of the hardest things to do. People argue it's the hardest thing to do in sports. Um, imagine that space of you're alone at the plate. And now I have my coach who's trying to give me instruction. Then I got my knucklehead mom or dad <laughs> standing there. You know, that feeling, I know that feeling. And I have had it even as an adult of like, you just feel like the world is closing in on you and, and your ear, like 
everything. It's just a very scary feeling. And then you wonder why kids want to go upstairs and put headphones on and drown everything else out. Well, guess what? Because on the other end of that headphone is their freaking friend who they're having fun with and they don't have their jerk parents screaming at them and embarrassing them. Never thought about that. It's so true. So yeah. that is why I feel like it's so important to amplify this conversation because we need to think about how it makes them feel. And at the same time, understand that the way we react, whether positive or negative is going to give them a feeling of whether they should be adventurous or whether they should fe- walk around this earth afraid. And I don't think any of us want to have kids that are walk around riddled with fear. Totally. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> That's going to be sticking with me when I'm out there in the field in the spring. You know, one of the other things you talk about a lot that really resonated with me and um, it's just this concept of like travel sports. And this is a specifically one I've mentioned on my podcast too, but I feel, and this maybe is not entirely true, but the way I feel now is that you cannot, unless you pay to have your kids in travel sports, that your kids are going to, are going to be behind and never make that, that middle school team, make that high school team, unless they're playing this year round travel sports. And it eats at me. I mean, I think a couple of reasons why I just thought about financially, like when I signed trip up for baseball, that very for, I think we went to Dick's that weekend and probably spent $200 on gear. That's a lot of money. And then I add on to the cost of travel sports. Like what if you can't do that? How are we supposed to get our kids to the ability? Or maybe this is all in my mind, but I do think this has created a space for me where I'm like, if we don't do this, then they're not going to be able to play at that level. Do we, What do we think about that? So that's <laughs> loaded. Ashley, so so <laughs> how much time do you have? Because you're this that that is a conversation of its own. I mean, there are, you know, that's one of the reasons that another reason why I started Reform Sports Project is to is to, you know, talk about this. I mean, there is a a, a, a massive problem with, you know, basically you're creating a situation where you're leaving people out, right? I mean, sports is not available. Absolutely. You know, certain level of sport is now available to a certain, you know, demographic, certain it's like making that divide even larger. Yes. 100%. But the problem is this pay to play is not, and people say, I, I love, I love it because, and some of these people, I hope you hear this. Um, they're good people who want what I want, which is, you know, reform and youth sports and other things, but they sit there and they want it to go back to the way it was when they were kids. Like <laughs> it's, it is pay to play. It's not going to go back. Like people talk about, oh, let's go back to the sandlot. Let's go back to the part. Dude, that's don't, it's gone, dude. It's, it's yeah. not the 80s. It's not the 90s. It's sure as hell not the 50s and 60s. Like that's gone. The genie's out of the bottle. Like there is a, this is an industry. This is not just an, it's a $19 billion industry. And that was like four years ago. It's youth sports is estimated. I, I, I don't know who the hell did it, but there was, you can look it up there by, there was a, estimation that it's going to be upwards of a $70 billion industry by like 2026 or 2027, like 3X. And why is that? Well, I interviewed, um, and this is going to come out in like three weeks, uh, a gentleman who owns one of the leaders in this space. Um, I don't want to give out the names and stuff yet until it comes out, but, um, you know, he, he's a private equity guy. Uh, he, he, he's a finance guy and, and his private equity firm bought a company for over a hundred million. And, they're literally, you know, one of the leaders in the space, but it's like, we talk about it, how, um, basically the consolidation, the mom and pop organizations that are out there, they're all going to be gobbled up. And so to your point, the the money is being more and more invested and it's private equity money is being poured into this space to unlock the value because there's so much more value in it. So the divide, right? I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. And, and truth is, 
you know, are there organizations that, you know, offer scholarship and all that stuff? Sure. Um, there are, I'd like to think reform sports project. There are, you know, the, uh, Aspen Institute project play changing the game project. Um, I love to watch you play Asia Mape. Some of these folks who run these organizations have had on as guests, uh, on the podcast, but people putting out great content, talking about this exact conversation, Yeah. but what's the solution? I got to tell you something. And I want everyone to, when there's this much money, the solution is you get, we, we, the best. People don't understand this. Do you know who controls youth sports? People think, oh, the organization. You know who controls it? The freaking parents control it. Okay. Parents control it. <laughs> That's who controls it. We are the ones spending the money. Imagine, I said this to, I think it was to John Solomon, who's a writer um, for the Aspen Institute Project Play. I interviewed me for an article that's coming out here soon. And, and he goes, dude, you know, people don't understand the parents control. Uh, I said, dude, imagine if parents said we're going on youth sports strike for a month and not spending the money. Guess what would happen? Every single organization would have to adapt. But the problem is this, Ash, and I'm going to shut up here in a second. No, I'm you loving it. You can get me excited. <laughs> Don't get me too excited. You hit the nail on the head when you asked me the question is you're, you have a little bit of fear, the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Yes. The problem is this. That's like a day. We don't want our kids to miss out. So what are these organizations doing? They're praying. And I don't want to say they're praying. I don't want it. It's a very negative <laughs> word. But they know from a marketing business standpoint that they got you by the short and curlless. Because guess what? If you don't do it, someone's going to. Right? No joke. The very next thing I've got on my paper is like a little note I was going to touch on. It is like I'm guilty of this. As a mom, I, I want my kids to have it all. I want to give them every opportunity. I don't want them to fall behind. For better or for worse, you know, it's just part of, I think, human nature being a parent. So, like, how do we break this cycle? How do we build this network of parents, not just sharing this mentality, but also living it? You know, I mean, like, I feel like, you know, like you're saying, it's a common belief, but taking that leap of faith to get started or being the one that's like, you know what, we're not doing it. It's scary to be the first one. David Epstein, who um, uh, uh, you might, some of you probably know or have heard of, he's an amazing writer. I've had him on. He's, he's an awesome guy. He's written um, The Sports Gene, and he also has written Range. Um, two amazing books. They talk about a lot. They talk about He talks a lot about the, the value in um, – you know, diverse diversity, you know, not specialization at young age. Anyway, I interviewed David and he said, cause we talk, he covers a lot of the youth sports content yeah. and talk it, talking about these subjects. And he says, it's awkward. Cause you don't want to be that rogue parent. You know, that and here, right. here, he's a guy who's done the research, he's, but he's like, even he's like, it's uncomfortable. Well, I can tell you this. I am at times the rogue parent. I, I am. And you know what? I don't give a crap. You know what I mean? Like, like I interviewed Trot. Shout out Wilmington, great <laughs> Tronics and Red Sox, 2004, the Dirt Dog. He said to me, and I have the interview. Um, some of you is clip it got seen like 75,000 times, something like that. But I interviewed him right out in front of um, we had breakfast at uh the Hexa called as you're going down right next to the DMV, right next to the oh, DMV. Ruth's kitchen, Ruth's kitchen, sweet, okay, right outside of Ruth's <laughs> kitchen. And um, he goes, you know, when these Travel organizations try to hold you hostage, say, hey, if you don't play with us in the fall, you might lose your spot in the spring. He goes, so what? There's more baseball out there. Go find an organization that's not going to hold oh, you I hostage. Oh, I love that. So you, the point is, is we have to at times 
grab the control of the situation. You know what I mean? And and, yeah. and not just follow, oh, well, and wait until you get really involved. People go from this organization to that one, to that one, and they develop these little clicks and we're going to go here, we're going to go there. It's like, dude, find what, what makes sense for you and your family and who gives a crap. That's what I think. I love it. Do you know this? And I have, I'm, have nothing to base this on, but one thing I thought about just playing baseball in the fall. So, and again, my son's young, but and he loves it. And that's, what's most important. I don't know that we're on a path that he's incredibly like, uh, gifted in baseball, but regardless, he loves it. We're going to keep doing it. There's so many less people playing in the fall and so many people doing travel ball that I thought to myself, what if he isn't, you know, it, it doesn't excel enough to be on this travel ball team. Like, is there going to be one day the space gone where it is just like a little rec league that you're playing two, three times a week? Is there a day where that could be gone? Cause it, it started to look like that. Like people weren't playing in the fall. People were doing all the travel ball stuff. And I don't know, a lot of concerns there, you know? Well, fall baseball, you're, you're oftentimes, um, specifically when it comes to rec, at least I can speak from my experience here in Wilmington, but also think about it. I mean, you have kids playing football. Yeah. You have kids playing soccer. So, I mean, you Just know, kind of interferes a hundred percent. So a lot of times I I can only speak from my own experience is that are the, the quote unquote better athletes, quite frankly, in fall would be playing football or soccer. They'd be playing something else. So a lot of times you have, um, kids that love baseball, but you know, you don't have them as many as you do in the spring All right, that makes sense because it's off season. However, don't you kind of got you kind of got me a little bit i may take this in an area you didn't want to go to but you, you you're, you're pushing some buttons and when you mentioned you know your son and we, he may or may not be don't get me started with late bloomers i'm going to tell you that right now don't, okay don't, don't get me started <laughs> with how valuable it is to be somebody who has a chip on their shoulder because they've been told or they've been thought of as someone who may be behind but just inside them they, they they're right now what they're doing is they're going they're 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 sticking a finger up at everyone <laughs> internally going all right well let's see you in a few years oh, let's I love see it. you in a few years and the bottom line is the fall might be for your son or somebody out there when there's not as many people out there and i love the fall here at subrapt yeah. because it's not it's a more about development than it is about the competitiveness and wins and losses it's a little bit less very true. He's getting, he gets way more of a chance, you know? Yeah. Which, Trying different positions, different things. hundred, which he should, and he should get that in the freaking spring too. I'm sorry, but, um, should, you shouldn't, don't get me started. <laughs> on putting nine and 10 year olds at the same spot. Every time we're going to, you, we're going to have to do several of these. Can you get me? I can't up? wait. <laughs> but the point is your son may go there with not as many kids. And all of a sudden he is playing different positions. He's getting better. He's getting more playing time. All of a sudden it's unlocking this passion. Like I really enjoy this. And all of a sudden he gaps up and he has a really good spring and he's like, wow, I really love it. And so you never know what's the old saying, like popcorn, you know, each kernel pops at different times yeah. or whatever it is like, like, man, I've seen kids that were borderline grown men at 13 years old who are like, oh my God, that kid's going to the big leagues and they're not even playing in two years. And then I see kids that are, I'll shout out, man, Kristen Orfia from Sellington, Connecticut um, was my teammate uh, when we were 14 years old um, for an AAU, the Connecticut Warriors um, team. Dino, um, we both played at D3 schools and we reconnected summer ball, my, our junior, my junior, his sophomore year, um, played for the Manchester Silkworms. And, and Kristen Orfia was at Wheaton College, Division three player, he was probably five, 110 pounds. And we were 14, you know, when we met in college, he was, um, you know, about my size. Well, he just had a 
12, a 10 or 12 year big league career. And now he's a no manager. Way. Yeah. I mean, he, and this is a guy who was a little guy, but I, the tiger worked his butt yeah. off and just, you know, 10 plus years. Better person for it too. You know, you got that work ethic in, you know, like, I love it. Love it. Love it. I really do. I respect what you're doing here. I mean, getting the conversation out there and people talking about it has to be a step in the right direction, you know, I guess. And we did touch on this, but I, I wonder like, what's next for you? Like, where do you see your podcast going, this organization going? Like, what are your, do you have some hopes there? Some goals? Like, what are you thinking? I mean, to me, and I, I was fortunate enough. So one of the biggest, you talk about, you know, people's uh, the podcast, um, to me, the podcast is like a tentacle of what we're doing. Sure. Um, I was fortunate enough and, and you want to talk about <laughs> being relentless. Like you, you think I pursue, you know, guests to come on, which I do. I pursue people <laughs> hard. Um, it's like, I'm not, I'm not afraid to get you to tell me no. And if you tell me no, I'm going to say, okay, but I'm going to come back to you in a week. Like I love it. you better block me. And <laughs> there's some people might hear this. They go, yeah, he's the game line. Um, but I have a partner, um, octagon octagon, which is, uh, for familiar with athletics, um, professional athletics, they are, you know, top, if not the best sports marketing agency in the world, they're certainly in the top three or four. They represent athletes like Steph Curry, um, Michael Phelps, Simone Biles, I wow. mean, just some of the biggest names in the world. Um, my brother-in-law, Seth Pepper, shout out the swimmer I was telling you about earlier. Um, he has an incredible network within swimming. I always, one of the main drivers of me starting the reform sports project was, I think it's a mental health issue. Yeah. I think there's a mental health. I think, I think there's, and that's another conversation we get into. I talk about a lot in the podcast and when I would be up with our youngest ones watching Noggin, how many people out there know Noggin, you know, the show, not the freaking channel Noggin with yeah. <laughs> baby first and <laughs> totally. all that stuff. One of the, one of the commercials I would always see at like 5am when I was up with the kids is um, Michael Phelps sitting alone in the swimming pool, you know, talking about mental health. And I'm like, as I was getting ready to start this, I'm like, I got to talk to this dude. I got to talk yeah. to this dude. Um, so I was fortunate to, through my brother-in-law to connect with the president of USA swimming. And then I interviewed basically Michael Phelps's father figure in Hall of Fame swim coach Bob Bowman. And I was doing this all because I wanted to reach Phelps. And my, <laughs> but I got something more than that. So, Coach Bowman, this is like three years ago when I interviewed him, um, who I'm still very much entrenched, uh, talk to all the time. Um, he's a great dude. Said, I said, dude, coach, can you shoot me Phelps's number? I need to ask him to come on the pot. He goes, <laughs> he goes, the only way that you're going to get, Michael Phelps to come on is through his agent, Peter Carlisle. He's the only person that will ever be able to make that. But I said, well, I need to talk to Peter. I'm like on the edge of my seat trying to keep going. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> I, I said, so he sends me Peter's email and text and uh, I just started blowing him up and he's in Maine. So he's Peter Carlisle is P Michael Phelps is, um, direct agent, but he's the, he's the managing director of the Olympics and action sports division oh, of Octagon. Holy. So 20 plus years ago, his private business got acquired by Octagon. And now he's, you know, one of the big shots at the been, you know, he's one of the most respected names in the sports agency world. So I sent him uh, an email was blown. I was actually started blowing him up and um, he finally responded to me and was like, I see it. You know, I see it. And he has, he's a father, he yeah. has kids that are in sports. It's like, I see it all the time. Um, Let's keep in touch and let's see down. And this is three, three years ago. Okay. His first response. As soon as he wrote me back, I said, I got him. I got this son of a gun. I'm going to get him eventually. I'm loving this. About, <laughs> I would honestly estimate probably 
1200 emails later. <laughs> oh, um, oh my gosh. Threats, dude, please don't make like you overwhelming me the reason why we can never do. I mean, borderline blocking me, responding, texting. I'm sorry. Give me another chance. Like I wait two days and then hit him up again. And he's so patient with me, but he'll tell you, he'll tell the story. Now he's like, dude, obviously I saw the need, but then your passion, your, your was just, it was either like, dude, th this guy's so relentless that I eventually I got him to to agree to come on. So basically, did you get Michael Phelps on your show? It's come. That still hasn't freaking <laughs> happened. So and I'll, st but it's coming, right? So so, and the reason why is like Nick, you don't think like he wants it to be the right time. He's like okay. it's gonna be the right time when I'm not recording on my phone. It's coming though. So octagon you might be onto something there though this could be cool i feel like it really might fall into place right when it's supposed to you know i have gotten so much more from the relationship so like i have um his entire staff so i talk to them you know probably five times a day you know we're writing the blog together they're doing the producing of the of the podcast uh we're business partners we have all the agreements in place and it's like let's they're, they're helping me build the model yeah you know I me mean? so where's the future go um I think, in my opinion, and this was Peter's thought to me, he goes, when we enter with you, we're not doing this to be a part of. We're doing it to own the space. We're doing it to own the issue. Like we're not going, we're not going into this to be a participator in, you know, youth sports content or education or whatever. We're doing it to to take it over. So when you say, where do I think it's going? What I I want to say hope and aspirations. Yeah. I, I, I hope in, you know, a, a year, two years, three years, like we are a, um, a, a media content producer, uh, and, and publisher. And when, and if you have a question on anything pertaining to youth amateur sports and, and you're looking for videos, you're looking for speaking engagements, you're looking for blogs, you're looking for different podcasts, you're looking for writers, you know, it's all coming it, back. It's all coming from reform sports. Nick, I love this so much. And I feel like one day I'm like, oh my gosh, you sat on my kitchen one day. <laughs> I hope so. But I can also be sitting <laughs> in your kitchen, wiping your floors in two years for all I know. All right. So if somebody's listening to this today and they're feeling inspired, because you really can't, you can just listening to you and listening to your podcast, you can feel your energy. And it's so cool being in the room with you because I can see it. I can see the passion. I love it so much. What if they want to get involved? What if they want more? Where, where can they find you? What can they do? So you can go to reformsportsproject.com. Um, we have a, a weekly blog that comes out on Fridays. We have a, a newsletter on Wednesdays. And of course, the, the podcast on Wednesdays, we're always putting out different, there's all different interviews and content that's up there. Uh, you can find me personally at Nick Bonacore, at Nick, yes, Nick Bonacore on Twitter. That's my most active uh, place for me personally. Okay. Um, Reform Sports Project is on Twitter, um, on Instagram, Reform Sports Project. And of course, uh, on LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn, I've been kind of, I didn't start huh. LinkedIn until <laughs> like late, late, late. I, um, and I will just tell you, Ashley, here's, here's what I thought you want this. And I want to hear it. Let's go. This if to me in order to, I always thought to myself, I know people will resonate with the message, but no one's going to give a crap coming from me. Now, this is what I thought four years ago. Um, I need to get other people to basically like promote me saying it or for yeah. them to say my, what I, so I would literally you didn't just get people. You got the people. And then I, and then I, <laughs> it's I really impressive. It was part of like, listen, I'm going to, let's do this, but then I need you to, I need you to promote it across your Twitter feed. I need you to retweet it. And I need you to, I still do that. I go like, will you please quote, retweet this, say some words so we can share it. So it reaches your network. Like I ask people and they don't always do it. 
Okay. Um, I'm grateful for them coming on, but yeah, I mean, like I want it to be mutually beneficial. Like as you're building a, um, a name for yourself and you, you have to get people, at least for me, I needed to get people to be smoothed enough to want to take action. How do I take action? Sure. They get on a call with me, but feel comfortable and excited enough to want to put that back out there. Yeah. Yeah, Promote it. Like, like help me out. Like, let's go. Like get behind this thing. Um, so I asked for it. I love it. Love it. it. Love it. Hey, do you ever do speaking engagements? I do. Yes. And that is a, that is a component also of, um, of what we're doing. I think you're so good at that. If anyone wants to hear me speak, man, I love speaking. Oh, and it's Bonacore. Let's do this for them because that took me a second. B-U-O-N-O-C-O-R-E. So, (laughs) yeah, so it means good heart, right? So if you think of bueno, um, you know, but but good heart. But basically in order to pronounce it, if you just took the U out of there and may pretend there was no U, it'd be Bonacore. But people also say Bonacore. I, I, I did that care. for the and first I, like three months. She was I, a teacher and Tripp was always like, no mom, get it together. <laughs> I, I don't care. Call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I really, really appreciate it. Guys, you can follow me um, on Instagram and listen to my podcast on Spotify, Bright Minds with Ashmon. I actually would love to have Nick back on because there are so many areas I could have taken a deep dive on, but um, I wanted to get the word out there. When people start listening to you, it's such a good podcast. Um, Such a good guy. I'm really excited to get some feedback on this one. Appreciate it. Bye, y'all.